Let's turn together, please, to the Word of God, to the the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And we'll read the portion, beginning at verse 11. It's good to see you here this evening. I gather a lot of uh, school events on, carol services and so on. So we're missing a lot of people tonight, it seems. But it's good to see those who are here and those who are online with us. We welcome you as well. So let's just turn to this chapter, Luke chapter 1, and reading from the verse number 11. Luke chapter 1 and the verse 11. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the heart, (coughs) excuse me, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. Amen. And we know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Again, we'll bow together and let's just have a word of prayer as we come around the Word and we set ourselves to consider what the Lord would say to us. We need His help. Let's look to Him. Father in heaven, we continue before Thee in the precious name of Thy well-beloved Son. We thank Thee for the one mediator, the high priest of our salvation, our covenant head, and in His name and by the merit of His work we come unto Thee. We thank Thee for the privilege of gathering again in the house of the Lord, coming around those things that are eternal, that are spiritual, that belong to the Savior and all of His work that He has done for us. We plead His name. We plead all the value of the atonement. We pray, Lord, that Thou wilt be with us even as we assemble. And we lift up our hearts to Thee and we consider the word that Thou hast given for this occasion. Bless every brother and sister in this room. Remember those online. Touch every heart. Lord, draw near to us tonight. May we know a breath from Thee, a time of refreshing within our hearts, within our minds. The Lord coming alongside to give us help, to give us grace. And so, Lord, grant that we pray. And bless us now. Cleanse our souls in the blood of the Lamb. And grant us that infilling of the Holy Spirit. We ask all of this for Jesus' sake and for his eternal praise and glory. Amen and amen. There is 
a central emphasis in the Gospel of Luke, and that is it has a tremendous emphasis on prayer. The atmosphere of prayer permeates this whole Gospel record. That emphasis appears early in the book, and one instance of it lies in the context of our Savior's birth. We have, for example, Simeon's prayer in chapter 2, if you want to look at it quickly, chapter 2, verse 28, and on through to verse 32. We'll not read all the verses, but just note it there. Luke 2, 28, it says, Then took him up in his arms, that is, Simeon took Christ up in his arms and blessed God and said, Then he begins to pray, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. And farther down in that chapter, we have a reference to the praying of Anna in verse number 37, where it says of her at the close of the verse that she served God. And that word served means worshipped. She worshipped God with fastings and prayers night and day. So you have those two early references in the book to the Lord's people engaged in prayer. But the earliest reference to prayer is here where I read with you tonight in chapter 1 and in the verse uh, number 13 where you have these words, fear not Zacharias for thy prayer is heard. We find here that it's revealed to Zacharias the priest that his prayer was heard. He was a praying man. Thy prayer is heard. As we read those words, we notice that this was a, a singular prayer, we might say. It says, thy prayer is heard. Not prayers, but thy prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that Zacharias hadn't offered other prayers, that he was not engaged in prayer frequently. Undoubtedly, he was. He was a praying man as the priest of God. He was a justified man. You find that in verse number 6. It says there, that they, that is Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God. That's his justification. Righteous before God. Then you have a sanctification, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They were a couple against whom no one could point a finger. They were godly. They were holy in their lives. But that language would indicate that here is a man who walked with God, and a man who walks with God is a man who prays, a man who seeks the face of the Lord. And so in verse 13, thy prayer is heard. And so we have this clear evidence of the fact of a singular prayer, a prayer that came from his heart. Undoubtedly, it had been offered up many, many times. We're going to see what the prayer was uh, as we make our way through this, but it had come from his heart Many, many times I would believe that's true to say, but in a certain sense it was a singular prayer. It was also therefore a specific prayer because it focused on a certain matter. If you go back to verse 7 now, it says, they had no child. The opening words of verse number 7, they had no child. Now the setting of those words is remarkable because it's against the background of verse 6 that we just read a few moments ago which would indicate that in the light of his spiritual state and standing, Zacharias, as a justified man, a holy man, had prayed on for the reversal of this situation. That is, they had no child. 
And it was over that that he had been praying, praying specifically, praying that God would reverse the situation. That was mighty praying, because he essentially was praying in that specific way for the Lord to turn things around. They had no child, and therefore he came with a singular petition, undoubtedly again and again, but with a specific petition for a child, and so he is looking to the Lord to reverse the whole situation. That is mighty prayer, because despite the odds, both old and Elizabeth, beyond the years of childbearing, and despite the circumstances in which they find themselves, the apparent impossibilities, here's a man who lays hold on God in that singular and specific way. I want to look a little more, therefore, at the prayer of this man that we have mentioned here in verse 13. Thy prayer is heard. To begin with, I want us to consider the reception of his prayer. It says, Thy prayer is heard. That's a very brief statement, but it's one with tremendous meaning and significance. The words indicate that his prayer had been heard, which means his prayer had been received. Perhaps that was an issue that was really troubling Zacharias. And we notice that in verse 13. Notice the opening words of the angel who appears to him. Fear not, Zacharias. Thy prayer is heard. And I believe that as you read those words, maybe in what you might call the proper way, and get the emphasis in the, in the right place, it becomes very, very clear that this is what his fear was. That his prayer had not been heard. That that singular, specific prayer had not actually reached God or had not come up before the throne of grace. And so the angel comes and the very first thing he says to this man of God is, don't be afraid. Fear not, Zacharias. Thy prayer is heard. And so he's being comforted, therefore, over the fact or by the fact that his prayer had been received by the Lord and the answer was on its way. That's really what he is being told. I want us to think about that, the reception of his prayer. Notice why it was heard or received. Why it was actually heard or received. Why Zacharias himself could have been absolutely sure that that prayer that he had prayed over and over again, that singular specific petition had actually been heard and received by the Lord. Uh, I want us to think about that because that's a very important thing. Why can we be absolutely sure that our prayer or prayers, whatever the case might be, is heard, which means it is received? And the explanation for that here in this context has to do with what we read about the incense. If you look at chapter 9, or sorry, verse 9 of this chapter, it refers there to what uh, Zacharias's. Uh, particular role was, says in verse 8, he actually could at the priest's office before God on the order of his course. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Notice that reference to the burning of incense. That's an important reference because it is tied in with prayer. And then look at verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without, that means out in the outer court, at the time 
of incense. And again, you notice here, and very, very clearly in verse 10, that praying and the offering of incense are brought together. They are coupled together in such a way that we can see that the one belongs with the other. What I'm saying is, what we're seeing here is that the offering of incense is symbolic of the offering and the reception of the prayers of believers. We are taught that in Psalm 141 verse 2. That verse says, Let my prayer be set forth, and the words there set forth mean directed. Let my prayer be set forth or directed before thee as incense. And so again, you find that incense and praying are brought together. Here in uh, verse 11 of Luke chapter 1, just look at it with me. It says, There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And so there's a lot here about incense. Incense is mentioned in verse 10. The altar of incense is mentioned in verse number 11. And we should not miss those little details because they are of great importance. They are really underlining this whole matter of why his prayer was heard or received. And we're finding that prayer is symbolized by the offering of incense. And there's the altar of incense mentioned here. Turn please to Exodus 30. Exodus 30, and look with me at a couple of verses there. Verse number 1, to begin with Exodus 30, verse 1, it says, Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Just note that, Exodus 30, verse 1, one of the instructions given to Moses and uh, and those who labored with him, Thou shalt make an altar uh, to burn incense upon. And then verse 6, And thou shalt put it, that is the altar, of incense. Thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And those details are all related to the altar of incense. And remember the incense itself is symbolic of prayer. And here's the altar of incense. And morning and evening, there was to be the burning of incense on that altar. Let's go a step farther. Keep all those details in mind. Go now to Leviticus 16. And notice from this chapter another important detail about the incense and the burning of the incense. Because we're building up, or the Word of God is building up a very clear picture for us here. So Leviticus 16 and verse number 12. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. Just a few words of explanation here. Leviticus 16 has to do with the Day of Atonement. That one main feast in the year, the Day of Atonement, when the two goats were taken and one was killed and the other was led away into the wilderness and all the details are here in this chapter. And the goat that was killed was burned on the great altar. uh, There that stood at the door of the tabernacle, the outer door. 
And when it came to this point in verse 12, the high priest would go to that altar where the, the, the goat had been offered and its carcass had been burned to ashes and so forth. And he would take burning coals from off that altar. That's the altar of sacrifice. And he puts those coals into a censer, which is just a metal container. And then on the burning coals, he sprinkled what's called the incense here. And incense was actually spices, sweet spices. And they're sprinkled on the burning coals. And the burning coals ignite the, the spices or the incense and therefore, through that process, there's a cloud of incense that rises up out of that censer. And there you have again the symbolism of prayer in view. But what are we finding? We're finding, brethren and sisters, that based on the atonement, prayer is heard and prayer is received. That's where we come to with all these details I trust, within our minds. Every one of them is very, very important, as I've been trying to set before you. And therefore, we build up a picture here, and we find that the incense was ignited with coals of fire that were taken from the great altar that had fed on the sacrifice. That is Christ, been symbolized as death, His suffering, His atonement that He made for our sin. And on that foundation, on that basis, the offering up of prayer by the people of God takes place and the assurance is given that that prayer will be heard. That prayer will be received as we pray, as we seek God, as Zechariah is doing here in Luke 1. As we pray and we seek God on the basis of the atoning sacrifice of our Savior. Let me turn you to another reference. That's Revelation chapter 8, Revelation 8 and verse number 3. And much of this language and these verses, it's all very familiar to many of the Lord's people, but it's good to be reminded of these passages and see what the Holy Ghost has set out in Scripture as to why prayer is heard or received. So go to Revelation 8 and verse number 3. It says, Another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. This is a vision. It's full of symbolism. But there are certain points that flow out of these verses. The angel in verse 3 who comes and stands at the altar is acting as a priest. And let me say to you that it's Jesus Christ. There's only one priest now who has prevailing power with God. Yes, are in the Old Testament and all the other priests that followed him. They had their day. They had their role as symbols of Christ or pointers to Christ. But when you get to Revelation 8, you're looking into heaven and you're seeing something what's going on there. And we're discovering that there's a, a, an angel or a messenger, the word could be read, standing at this altar, having this golden censer and offering up incense 
and he's mingling the incense with the prayers of the saints. And what a picture is there. What a, a tremendous and wonderful assurance is there. The language is remarkable. The language is assuring. Here is why prayer is ever heard. Because when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying with an eye to the atonement. We're praying with a focus on the one sacrifice that was made that satisfies divine justice. And when we pray in that name and on the basis of the Lord's merit, then, my dear friend, we are heard. Our prayer is received. You see, we saw earlier there, Zacharias was afraid that his prayer had not been heard or received in heaven by the Lord. And the angel comes and says, don't be afraid, Zacharias. Thy prayer is heard. And so, dear believer, praying maybe very singularly and specifically for many, many years for one matter or some particular issue, and you wonder at times, has your prayer been heard? Learn from these thoughts that are here why prayer is heard. It's because of the prevailing merit and value of the Lord's atonement. But then a little detail before we move on here to something else. We're looking at the reception of this prayer. Um, we've seen why it was heard and received. But where was it heard and received? It says, thy prayer is heard. And obviously, it was the Lord who heard it. And if you go to verse 19 now, just notice what is said in that verse. I'm asking the question, where was it heard or where was it received? And of course, the answer is heaven. And we've already touched on that. And what have I already said to you? But look at verse 19. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. It's only now that we're given the name of the person, the angel who comes and stands at the altar, as we see in verse 11, and speaks to Zacharias in verse 13. Uh, Fear not, Zacharias. His name is now given. I am Gabriel. It was Gabriel who was sent to Zacharias with this message that we're seeing in these verses. Now, you only meet Gabriel three times in the Bible. In Daniel, he's found twice. Daniel 8, 16. Daniel 9, 21. And then here in Luke chapter 1, in these verses, he's also mentioned by name down in verse 26. Just look at it quickly. Luke 1, 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee, named Nazareth to, a, Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. And of course, the virgin's name was Mary. And so, three times you meet Gabriel in the Word of God. And this is one outstanding reference. And notice those words in verse 19. I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, verse 19, and am sent to speak to thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And one of the glad tidings was, Fear not, Zacharias, your prayer has been received. In other words, we find here that where it was heard and received was actually right at the very throne of God because Gabriel comes from God. He comes from the throne. And he says, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. I have just come from God's throne to tell you that God has heard your prayer. That's remarkable language, brothers and sisters. 
Zacharias' prayer had gone right up into heaven. It had gone up unto God. It was received right there in heaven by God Almighty. And the result was, for one thing, that Gabriel was sent from God to Zacharias. Gabriel is actually part of the answer, the answer of God. Uh, if you just look again at verse 26, notice the words, Gabriel was sent from God. And that's with regard to Mary and her situation, but just those words, Gabriel was sent from God. Gabriel is a wonderful name. The name Gabriel means God is mighty. God is mighty. Prayer heard because of Christ's merit and therefore bringing the intervention of God, the one who is mighty. That's the meaning of Gabriel's name. God is mighty. It's actually a Hebrew name. If you take the latter part of that name, Gabriel, the E-L, that's actually one of the names of God, El. And you have it sometimes in, the, in different forms, Eloah or Elohim. But El is a name of God in the Bible. It's a Hebrew word, this. This name, or these two, two letters brought together, El, that's one of God's names. And the rest of it means mighty. Uh, so his name means God is mighty. And so what happens here is, his prayer is received. It brings the intervention of the one who is mighty. Zachariah's prayer actually opened heaven. And he got through to the mighty God on his throne. And now there is a whole development of situations and events that come as a result of this man's prayer being heard. We have no idea, brethren and sisters, of the impact that prayer can make when the Lord is in it, when the Lord is working and the Lord is moving. And so learn that. The reception of Zachariah's prayer. And may God bless the thoughts to your hearts. But then I just want to deal with another main point here, the repercussion of Zachariah's prayer. Read on in verse 13. Luke 1, 13, the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And so we notice that the message comes that the prayer not only has been heard, but what the prayer was all about is going to be answered. Thy wife shall bear thee. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. At a personal level, therefore, the repercussion of Zacharias' prayer was striking. It was actually a prayer and its repercussions or its results, that conquered human impossibility. Look at verse 7. They had no child. Elizabeth was born, both now well stricken in years. But when the answer comes, it says there in verse 13, Don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear thee a son. And so the inference of those details is that Zacharias had prayed and Zacharias had prevailed in the face of an impossible situation. Now you think about this. It was mighty praying. An old man, an old lady, 
And it specifically said that she's barren and that they are both well stricken in years and they just cannot have children in the biological, natural sense of things. And yet this man prays believingly and prevailingly. And here's the mighty repercussion in the physical dimension that his prayer overcame barrenness and fruitlessness and actually brought life. But you see, this physical conquest was the harbinger of much, something much more important in terms of a spiritual conquest because the son who's going to be given, and we'll see more doubt in a moment or two, and we know who he is, of course, John the Baptist. What a son he was. What an answer to prayer was uh, wrapped up in this little lad who was going to come forth from Elizabeth's womb. And you find the emphasis of that on verse 16. It says, Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him, that is, before the Lord his God, in the spirit and power of Elias, and that's Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now those are vital words that you have there about John. In those two verses, all the verses here, we'll look in a moment or two at verse 15, but just note those two verses. Because those two verses where Gabriel tells John of the, the kind of ministry, or tells Zacharias of the kind of ministry that John will have, he's underlining in those words that an event is about to happen, the birth of John and what he will do in his ministry, that signals the close of 400 years of silence. That's really what you're reading about here. Do you know what I'm talking about? God hasn't spoken for 400 years. That's a long time. You just think back 400 years from this date. Go back in your mind. Well, you can't because you weren't there, but you know what I mean. Go back in your thoughts about 400 years ago. Way back into those centuries long gone by. And for 400 years after the days of Malachi, God had never spoken. There was no fresh revelation. There was no prophet. There was no movement. In fact, as you, and we saw this in the Bible class in our studies on the minor prophets, when we got to Malachi, great decadence was found in Malachi's day, as that book shows, spiritually I mean, and that continued and grew more and more intense and worse as the 400 years went by until when you get to the days of Zacharias and Elizabeth and their son John and the Lord Jesus Christ, things were at a very, very low ebb. And then suddenly, as a result of this man's praying, heaven is no longer silent. And a word comes from God uh, that through this person, John, there is going to be a great turning to the Lord. Ah, my dear friend, what a marvelous answer. A son born in answer to prayer who became a mighty evangelist. Just look at those words in verse 16. Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. The final words of verse 17 
He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist had a very short ministry, six months about. And yet in that short period, he saw this wonderful move. He saw uh, many of the children of Israel turn to the Lord their God. That's repentance. And that is conversion. And that is salvation. And John saw this happening. After all the silence, after all the deadness, after all the falling away, oh, God begins to move and how He moves. And it's all because of the repercussions of a man's praying, an old man who just kept on praying. And God began to move. And of course, the secret of John's power and fruitfulness was his infilling of the Spirit. Verse 15, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And I know, as I've just indicated, that was unusual. This unique and specific infilling with the Spirit of God. But it was all in order, as it says there again in verse 17, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zacharias prayed, and great things began to happen through this, this boy, as he's known, John the Baptist, one who was full of the Holy Spirit. You see, his praying, there's another repercussion, another result. His praying brought a marvelous infilling of the Spirit of God upon this individual, the very son that he and Elizabeth were privileged to, to bear. And so, through him, all these repercussions take place. Look at verse number 13. I think it's important just to note this before we close tonight. It's part of the whole repercussive situation here. Verse 16 says this. Oh, sorry, verse 13. Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayers heard. Thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John. And if you know the story, you will know that this puzzled the Jews of that day. Why is he going to be called John? Because normally, the son was named after his father. If you go right down to verse 59, you'll see how that comes up. We, later on, after Elizabeth has given birth, verse 57 refers to uh, her deliverance, and she brought forth a son, and so on. Verse 59, it came to pass that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And so they're puzzled. This, this, this breaks the custom that was among the Jews. And in their minds, this is deviation from what they always did. He should be called after his father. And you say, you say he must be called John. Now, my friend, we need to ask a question here. Why did the Lord say that his name would be called John? Have you ever thought about that? Well, what's the meaning of the name John? It means Jehovah is gracious. The New Testament name John in Greek sounds something like this. Ioannos. But it comes over out of the Old Testament from a Hebrew name, Yuanon. And so that's the meaning of the name, whether it's Yanos or whatever, 
or John, as we see it here in our translation, it means Jehovah is gracious. Now, you can see the significance of the name. It is significant because here is a very fitting name for the one who is to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And so he's named John because Jehovah is gracious. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. And the Messiah is the one who was full of grace and truth. He ushered in Messiah's kingdom. I mean, John the Baptist did. And the kingdom of Messiah was a kingdom of grace. And so the, the boy's named in a way that signals what's coming. This mighty move of God by the Holy Spirit and grace being shown to multitudes. And it doesn't end when John's beheaded and, and martyred. It keeps on going. And the Lord Himself is there in His ministry. And what a gracious ministry that the, the Lord had, as well as John the Baptist. The, the Messiah Himself, as I said there, it says in John 1, full of grace and truth. And then, as I say, the Messiah's kingdom. What is the kingdom of Jesus Christ? It is a kingdom of grace. Jehovah is gracious. The word gracious is taken from the word grace, as you will know. And so the emphasis you see in John's name is on grace. The grace of Jehovah. A great age of grace was being ushered in. And thank God that that age of grace continues to this very day. What grace has been shown to the world. And you know what has happened in the world throughout the nations, down through the centuries, certainly can be traced back to the prayer of Zacharias. He prayed, his son was born with this, this name, John. I know in our day and times, it's a very common name. But just taking this biblical context, it is a wonderful name. God or Jehovah is gracious. A message was sent out that after all the years of barrenness and decadence in Israel, God was going, or Jehovah was going to be gracious, going to move. Oh, what grace to send His Son into the world. What grace for Christ to die and to shed His blood and to make that one sacrifice for sin. What grace in the great outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost just as the Spirit came upon John, He came upon the apostles and later on upon the apostle Paul and down through the centuries ever since the Holy Spirit has come again and again and again because Jehovah is gracious. And therefore, we, we can come before the Lord tonight and seek His face and call upon Him and cry to Him that He might move again, that he might hear our prayers. Get before the Lord tonight, brethren and sisters. Shake off all the, maybe the tiredness, the weariness of another day. Focus your minds upon the throne of grace, upon the God of grace, and pray with all your heart for this view that we have seen being realized in our times, that Jehovah will be gracious.
that he'll move, that he will visit, that he will come with power, he will intervene in the work of God again and move in our day and times in a most wonderful way. We're here to pray for that. And I trust the Lord will help us tonight to pray and to lay hold upon the throne of grace. Thy prayer is heard. You, you think about those words and all that they mean in the setting where they are found. And may we come tonight and leave this time of prayer with this in our thoughts, this in our souls. Our prayers have been heard. The Lord has listened and the Lord will answer in his own marvelous way and for his own glory. Let us just have a word of prayer now at this stage. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, we thank thee for what these verses present to us. We thank thee for what thou didst do in those times so long ago when Zacharias and Elizabeth had this marvelous experience with God and their son was born and the forerunner came, the Messiah followed. And, O oh Lord, all of these things began to take place. Lord, we long that our prayers tonight will be heard in heaven, that they will go up as a sweet savor before thy throne. Lord, look on thy Son, view thy blessed Son, and hear us for Jesus' sake. And, Lord, come and visit us. Come and move in these days and work with power. We thank thee that thou art moving and touching ones and twos. But, oh, Lord, in our situation in our own land and, and throughout our own town, oh, that thou wouldst visit many and that there would be a great turning to the Lord. Lord, hear as we pray for Jesus' sake and continue with us, we pray in his name. Amen.